0: When you look at something, don't just look, see it. Really, really see it. See it so when you write it down, somebody else can see it too. Robert McCammon, Boy's Life. books in the freezer a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction i'm one of your hosts stephanie
1: and i'm your other host rachel have you been searching for a read-alike for it or misery do you need a remedy for the book hangover left by reading a head full of ghosts well we've got you covered today we're bringing you recommendations based off your favorite horror books and movies on this episode of books in the freezer
0: This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening!
1: So before we kick off the actual episode topic, we have some exciting announcements. Stephanie, do you want to tell everyone what we've been planning?
0: Yes. Well, we have a birthday coming up. We're turning a year old this October. So this October last year, we released our first episode on haunted houses. And I feel like we've learned so much since then. Yes. (laughs) Just sound quality, editing, research. It's been a journey so thank you all of you for being on that journey with us to celebrate we wanted to do a readathon in october the first two weeks so from monday october 1st to sunday october 14th we're doing a books in the freezer readathon we will have five challenges so the first challenge for the readathon will be to read a horror book by a female author And I can't think of a better resource than our bonus episode, our interview with Christy DeMeester, where she just rapid fire spit out all of these amazing female horror authors. You should be able to find all of them listed on the show notes for that episode or give that episode a re-listen. I think it's an amazing resource for
1: that challenge. And our second challenge is to read a horror anthology or short story collection. And for that, we have a lot of favorites on the podcast. A recent one of yours I know was Darkest Hours. We have also loved Tales from Talking Board or pretty much any of Ellen Datlow's collections will work for this. Third challenge would be to read
0: a horror book featuring or by a person of color or someone who identifies as LGBTQ+. So for this, I am suggesting as a resource, of course, our queer horror episode with Chelsea. She was so knowledgeable about this and we talked about so many great books on that episode. So I definitely suggest giving that a listen.
1: Yeah, Chelsea alone is an amazing resource. So you could even hit her up on Twitter if you want even more recommendations. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And then our next challenge is to read a horror book that has a movie adaptation. And I feel like there's a lot of options for that. We've talked about some on the podcast, some that come to mind as like post-apocalyptic Or I know there's some movies that aren't so good, but the books themselves are fantastic. And you can also look back to episode two, our episode on adaptations, where we talked about a lot of upcoming adaptations, which by this point, most of them have come out. So everything from It by Stephen King, to The Terror by Dan Simmons, there's a lot of options for that as well. And I know Stephanie, you're watching a lot more horror movies than I am. So I'm sure you'd be a really good one to give some recommendations for that. Sure. And of course,
0: Rachel and I will also try to get blog posts up on our website with recommendation lists to choose from as well, from what we can glean together.
1: Yeah, we're going to have lists and ideas of what you can read. And we'll be posting our own to be read or TBR lists. So I'm really excited to get to that. So watch for those posts.
0: Definitely. And the last challenge would be to read a book we've recommended on the podcast. So the easiest way to look through this would be obviously to listen to the podcast or to just go to the website and look through the show notes. It'll have lists of books that we mention every episode.
1: And it's funny, but this is actually the challenge I'm most excited for because we don't mention it a lot, but we rarely read the same books as each other because for a recommendations podcast, it's not helpful if we're both constantly reading the same books because then we only have limited recommendations to give out. So you're constantly talking about books that I've been dying to read, and I always feel the pressure to read something different, read something new, so I have something for the next episode. So this is a really good excuse for us to finally read some of the books that the other person has recommended that we've been dying to read for months and months. So I'm finally going to give myself permission to read Let the Right One In or any of the other books you've been gushing about all year long.
0: I think I have an idea of what I'm going to do for this challenge. But you're absolutely right. I know this is a little behind the scenes, but when we're pre-planning, you know, we'll talk about what books we're going to do, and if you say like, "Well, I'm going to read this book," I'm always like, "Dang it, I wanted to read that one." And it kind of feels like now I'll never get to.
1: I do the same thing. I was like, "Oh, that was on my list." And it's never like, "Oh, well, you can't read this book now."
0: I know, but it just feels like, "Oh, well, Rachel's already read it." So, in our collective mind, like it's already off the list.
1: Exactly.
0: So this this is really good. So we will take this to heart and read books that we've been meaning to read and give ourselves permission. So definitely share your TBR with us if you're going to participate, you know, share it on Twitter, on Instagram, link it to us, send it to us. Like we want to see what you guys are reading. We want to see if you are participating. We want to be involved in this communal effort to read more horror in the spookiest time of the year and our birthday celebration.
1: Absolutely. So are you good at completing readathons in general? Uh, not usually. Uh oh. <laughs> How about you? Not so much. I don't really
0: participate in a whole lot of them. I feel like the big ones, I always have something going on in my life, so I'm never really fully able to participate. And usually I think readathons like I look and it's always like there's a few challenges that I'm like, I just don't have anything for that.
1: I feel like this one's perfect for us because I feel like without trying, it basically is going to capture what we normally read in a two-week period. I also like that we decide to do two weeks because we both have jobs and you have kids, so it gives a little bit more leeway. A lot of people can't necessarily read five books in... A week but I think two weeks it's possible we've definitely recommended some shorter books on the podcast that would be perfect for this and this just feels really doable I love readathons I love making TBRs that's my favorite part is like planning for it but the actual completion part I'm not always so good at but because it's our readathon because it's the books that we read anyway I don't think I'm going to have any problem finishing this I'm really excited to jump in and like I said mostly just excited to see what everyone else is going to pick
0: Yeah, no, I'm really excited about this. And I agree. I think two weeks is good because a lot of people, it's just not plausible. A lot of people don't live a life that allows you to finish five or seven books in a week. So this is still, you're allowed to live your life and go enjoy the beautiful, spooky season of autumn and get some spooky reads in.
1: Absolutely.
0: And for this, we will also be doing an Instagram challenge that I'll have up to and that'll be hashtag freezer Book October. If you want to participate and take bookstagram pictures for each of the challenges A lot of them will be topics that we have done episodes on. So like haunted houses, small towns, creepy kids. And I don't want to discourage anyone. You don't have to be like a professional photographer to do Bookstagram. It's definitely just like
1: participate. I have a feeling you said that last line because you're talking to me. Because we've discussed it before. I love Instagram, but I feel like I'm really bad at it. I have never actually done an Instagram challenge because I'm always too nervous to put out my pictures because everyone's always looked so professional. And then when I take a picture for Instagram, for anyone who follows me, you'll notice that I take a book, I put it on the ground. Sometimes I put like a cup of coffee next to it and I take a picture and it's kind of lackluster a lot of times. So I was actually going to bug you. Like, do you have any like recommendations or like what are your like tips for being a better bookstagrammer because I'd say of the two of us you are miles ahead of me for how your pictures come out and I should point out that you do 95% of all the Instagram pictures that go on our official books in the freezer Instagram account for anyone who wonders how they all turn out so nice it's all you let's just say I contribute very little to that account.
0: Well, thank you. I don't think I'm professional by any means. Like, I feel like I look at all of kind of the bigger bookstagrammers and I'm like, oh, your pictures just evoke this sense of coziness, like spooky coziness that I love.
1: Oh, I know. Once I discovered the horror bookstagram community, I fell in love and then wasted a lot of time on Instagram.
0: Like, how are there like coffee cups and sweaters and spider webs? It's all just lovely. I would say outdoor light for me, if you can find a place where you are getting any kind of outdoor light that definitely works better for pictures. So that is why when it is warm enough, a lot of my pictures are outside.
1: Ah, I never noticed that. I'll have to look a little bit closer.
0: Yeah, a lot of my pictures are like, here are my plants.
1: And then do you actually have props that you bought specifically for Instagram? I always wonder if people just happen to have like skulls sitting around their home or if they specifically buy them for their pictures.
0: No, I buy them for the Halloween season. It's funny because I have two or three tubs full of Halloween decorations and like one tub of Christmas decorations.
1: That's hilarious. <laughs> you got your priorities. I like it.
0: Yeah, so I have a lot of Halloween stuff. I have a lot of like crocheted spider web tablecloths. I have a lot of skulls. I have like bleeding candles and candelabras. Do you do
1: a giant Halloween party every year?
0: Yes, I do. I'm the only one in my friend group that's into Halloween, so it's kind of my responsibility to make sure people don't just pass it by. (laughs) So I make it worth it.
1: Oh, that sounds fun. I was thinking I'm going to have to do some Halloween shopping this year. And yeah, I was selfishly thinking about doing it just to get some props for Instagram. I feel
0: like... A lot of good props are just like fake plants from like the Dollar Tree just like peeking out of the corner just for that like texture, like white sheets and like a cup of coffee, just like a very well lit picture like that. Yeah,
1: I need to study them more.
0: I do that when I see a picture that I think could be doable or like I find really inspiring or I'm like, that's a really good picture. I'm impressed by that. There's a bookmark icon that you can click on the lower right hand corner and I save those and I kind of have like an inspiration folder. So I do that when I'm like, oh, you know, like I really liked how they laid them out this
1: way or that they're stacked this way or playing with props. I know podcast supporter Emily is one of those amazing horror bookstagrammers so if anyone hasn't I would definitely recommend they check out her Instagram account which I believe is book.happy yes and maybe she can like chime in and give me some coaching tips on how to up my game before the Instagram challenge starts because I'm definitely going to participate I can't ignore this one if it's our (laughs) challenge but I'm a little nervous that everyone's going to school me with a really fancy picture so don't worry if you're nervous about going in participating. No matter how bad your pictures look, Rachel's will look worse. So don't you worry. It's about the effort, and it's about
0: spreading the horror love, guys.
1: That part I can do. So now let's move to our actual episode topic, which I mentioned at the beginning. But we wanted to mix it up a little bit, so we're not going to be discussing a particular subgenre of horror today. Instead, we're going to be doing a recommendations-based episode where we're going to say, if you like X book or movie, we recommend that you read book Y. And I'm really nervous for this episode, if I'm honest, because I love reading read-a-like lists. Like online, there's always lists saying, if you like this TV show, here's 10 books you should read. I love reading those lists, but the compiling part makes me very, very nervous. How about you? I feel the same way. I do love reading those, but
0: I think some media isn't comparable. And it's tough to pinpoint like what exactly people like about certain things. Because, I mean, we kind of do that for the podcast. We're like these books have this in common, so we shall talk about them together. But there's something different about like, well, if you like this at all, then you will like this. So I think it's kind of us having to be like, well, if this is the aspect that you liked out of this, then you will also enjoy that aspect in this. But I agree. It's also like nerve wracking.
1: Oh, it's so subjective. I did a video like this a while back on my YouTube channel saying if you like this book, try this other one. And I don't think I'd ever gotten so many negative comments saying that's a terrible recommendation. books are nothing alike things like that the classic example that you see on every book marketing is this book is the next gone girl or if it's fantasy it's the next harry potter (laughs) and i really really hate those comparisons because to me they put those labels on there for all the wrong reasons and i've not once found a book that's compared to gillian flynn's books that actually captures what i like about her books so much
0: yeah you can't just tell me a story about a husband and wife that. Are shady and keep secrets from each other and say it's like Gillian Flynn
1: exactly like to me it's much more about the like really dark female characters it's about the writing all that being said we are gonna attempt to do that here and I actually think (laughs) we have some really good recommendations so to actually talk about the book recommendations I want to start with a classic and so if you like Misery by Stephen King I recommend you try Perfect Days by Raphael Montez And of course, Misery is the story of an author who is rescued from a car accident by an obsessed fan who proceeds to hold him hostage as she nurses him back to health and then forces him to write a new novel for her with the ending that she wants. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I've actually not read Misery. So this is the only recommendation I'm going to make where I haven't read both books in the pairing, but I'm very familiar with the general story of it. It's on my short list, I promise I really do want to read it, but I really feel confident that Perfect Days by Rafael Montez is going to scratch the same itch for people who are looking for a similar story. And while I haven't read Misery, people who have read Misery and also read Perfect Days felt that they were really similar. So Perfect Days is told from the perspective of a sociopathic medical student named Teo who falls in love with a woman. But when she rejects him, he of course decides to kidnap her. This woman is a writer so Tio justifies this kidnapping because he believes he is encouraging her to write her screenplay and he ends up taking her on this road trip across Brazil and goes around visiting all the locations that she wrote about in her original screenplay. This novel is translated from Portuguese because the author himself is Brazilian and it was one of my favorite books of last year so I have mentioned it before but it's worth talking about again. It is technically marketed as a suspense or thriller but I feel It could be just as easily marketed as horror, and I just think it's a really good comparable story to Misery. Obviously, you can hear from the synopsis that it deals with very similar subject matter, an obsessive person who basically kidnaps someone else. You have the layer of the author or in this case, the screenwriter. And it's just everything I love about fiction. I have a strange thing about really enjoying stories about kidnapping. It's one of my buzzwords is anytime there's a story with a kidnapping, (laughs) I have to read it. One more thing that makes Rachel weird in case that list wasn't long enough on the podcast already and I do need to mention that Teo is very deadpan as a character he is an emotionless sociopath which is the one biggest criticism I see for this book is people said they didn't like his personality they felt that he didn't have a lot of personality and I actually love that about him because I felt like it was actually a realistic portrayal Of what a sociopath would be and I just think it really captured everything I love about kidnapping stories even though it's not technically marketed as horror I would put this in the fridge because there's some definite body horror in this one it was the book that made me realize how much I loved body horror and since then I haven't stopped saying that phrase so whenever I hear that I know I'm gonna like the book and there was just a creepy scene I was downstairs in my basement reading this and I read this one page and I just had to put the book down for a minute and just have a moment before i was okay to pick it up and that just doesn't happen to me very often so it's just such a good one i don't think you've read this one have you
0: no i haven't but i do love the cover with like the open silky suitcase it's like very eerie but like minimalistic
1: Exactly. It's actually such a pretty book. So it's deceptively dark, which may be some of the reason that not everyone loves it. It actually has kind of average ratings on Goodreads. You either love it or hate it. And I think people see and they're like, oh, it's a road trip story. It's about a couple. (laughs) And it goes to some very dark places fast. And then it gets darker. I remember someone described it as like grim and depressing. And I was like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. But when you actually think about what happens in the story, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is not... A happy read. There is nothing nice about this book.
0: So my next comparison is probably the one I'm most nervous about because I think when I say it, it sounds like it's such a stretch. But the similarity with these two books is the tone of the story. So if you like A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, I'm going to recommend Broken Harbor by Tana French. No, Broken Harbour by Tana French, number one, is technically a mystery. So I can see why you are thinking I'm a little crazy right now, but he, bear with me right here. So the plot of A Head Full of Ghosts, as I have mentioned multiple times on this show, follows the Barrett family, whose oldest daughter is acting very strangely and they believe that she is possessed by a demon and they decide to go through with an exorcism. But because of recent financial issues, they agree to have that possession televised as part of a reality show. And it's kind of this family drama angle that I'm really going to work at here with Broken Harbor. And Broken Harbor, number one, is the fourth in the Dublin Murder Squad series. But I think Rachel will agree with me that you do not necessarily need to have read the first three yet to understand what's going on.
1: Absolutely. It's more of a companion novel. So you can absolutely get away with starting there.
0: Yes, because she also follows a different main character every time. So they're not going to be referencing things that you don't understand. So Broken Harbor is following a detective named Scorcher Kennedy, and he has basically a perfect solve record and he usually takes on training the rookies. So he is training a rookie for this case and he gets called to this house in what would be this nice neighborhood. But because the recession has just happened, most of these houses are empty. This was kind of a housing development that was built up close to the beginning of the recession. So it's a very eerie setting. So most of these like really nice houses are empty and there is a multiple homicide with a family with two young children. So I know it sounds odd, but believe me when I say the tone of the story and just really getting into the characters' heads and the things that people do when they are under financial pressure and how that plays within a family and within relationships, I think is very fascinating. And I think is really what makes these two comparable because Rachel said it too. So Rachel read Broken Harbor first and then read A Head Full of Ghosts for the podcast and immediately messaged me and said, I kind of see why you like Broken Harbor.
1: Yeah, it made perfect sense to me because I'm actually really confident in this comparison because I think that they're so similar in tone and just the focus on the breakdown of the family, particularly during financial hardship. So when I started reading A Headful of Ghosts, I was like, "Oh, of course you love Broken Harbor. This is so similar to it." And there's reasons I'd compare them that we can talk about, and there's other things that obviously would be spoilers between the two, but mm-hmm. I really would safely recommend either one of these. And I should mention like with all the books we're recommending, you can absolutely do the recommendation in reverse. So for anyone listening to the podcast who say I've read Broken Harbor, if you enjoyed that, you should absolutely go and read A Headful of Ghosts even if you're one of our listeners who doesn't actually read as much horror as others you will love paul tremblay's book it's an amazing reader in my opinion i think it's a really good recommendation so i second that one for sure
0: okay i'm good i have your support
1: <laughs> absolutely i got your back on this one so my next read-alike is if you like scary stories to tell in the dark you should try corpse cold a new american folklore written by john burrell joseph sullivan and illustrated by chad worley And of course, Stories to Tell in the Dark was written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stefan Garmel. I understand that there's other illustrated versions, but everyone says like, go and read the original with the original artwork, which is definitely the creepiest. I actually never read them as a child. I was really sad that I never got to. So I read these as an adult, which honestly was a little bit underwhelming only because I was clearly way too old and reading way too much horror to properly gauge the creepiness of a book aimed at little kids. Did you get to read this one as a kid? Oh yeah,
0: I would go to my middle school library like in the sixth grade and sit crisscross applesauce in front of the section where these books were at and just read them multiple times just over and over again.
1: (laughs) Why am I not surprised? This is maybe a bit of a cheat of a comparison because the fact that Corpse Cold was written as the adult version of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The authors actually went out of their way to create a Kickstarter campaign because they wanted to create a book that had a similar feel and tone. And these stories are definitely targeted to adults. They have more mature themes. But I think they did a really good job of capturing some of the atmosphere around those original stories. And so there's 20 unique stories in the collection, and there's a good range of variety. They're not all the same type of stories. And basically each one is only a couple pages long and always ends with a twist or a spin on a very classic kind of horror story. So there is like a haunted hotel, but there's just a little bit of twist at the end. And I love so many of the stories in this collection. A Couple of my favorites. One is about a bachelor party gone horribly wrong. And another one explores the dangers of the dark web and the fact that no one is truly anonymous online. I also love a story about a man who decides to crowdsource his own mother's funeral, which of course is a really good nod to the fact that the whole collection was originally crowdsourced. And I have to talk about the illustrations. As I mentioned, they're all done by Chad Worley, and they're done in this black and white drawing style, and it's just very creepy. I think it's very reminiscent of the original stories, but at the same time, very unique. He certainly has his own skin style. And I'd say the collection itself is fairly room temperature, but the illustrations definitely upped the creep factor for me. I found the stories chilling and creepy and something you would really appreciate, Stephanie. I know we talked about in a different episode is that at the end of the collection, there was a whole write up on the inspiration behind each of the short stories and where they came from, where they were inspired from. I thought it was just fascinating.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: I know we talked about that with ghost summer and this did the same thing. And I just thought it was brilliant because I, always want to know and i never get the answers so again if you like scary stories to tell in the dark i recommend corpse cold new american folklore by john burrell joseph sullivan and illustrated by chad worley that is a mouthful (laughs) (laughs)
0: so my next recommendation was probably one of the ones we got asked about the most so this is if you like stranger things which Stranger Things has so many facets to it that there were so many directions I could go. Like I could have recommended Disappearance at Devil's Rock because it has that mother-son disappearance angle if you liked the Winona Ryder plot line. But I am going to go with two books that capture different things, I think, about the show. So my first pick is Boy's Life by Robert McCammon and Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. So with Boy's Life, what my similarities with it were, were the young child protagonist, the supernatural elements, but most of all, I would say the nostalgia. So Boy's Life follows a boy named Corey Mackinson in Zephyr, Alabama in the 1960s. He and his father witness a car plunge into a lake. His father is shook up by the event and he comes face to face with a sea monster and a mystic. This is a coming of age story that takes place during the civil rights era. And I know the 60s and the 80s are obviously two very different decades, but I think the way that the author looks at this story, it's just such a love letter to a good old coming of age story. There's a lot of, I think, Americana to it. And I think it does have the coming of age aspect that I think Stranger Things also has where I think kids realize sometimes that they're going to need to fight the monsters on their own, that, you know, it's finally their responsibility to do that. And this book, I've seen it marked as a horror and it does have arguably some horror elements, but I definitely would say it's a more like sweet coming of age story, but I 100% recommend it. My next pick, Meddling Kids, I think is more if you like the group of kids going on an adventure aspect of it, which I think is probably the more popular aspect that people want out of it. So Meddling Kids is about a group of kids that used to solve crimes back in the Pacific Northwest. They called themselves the Blyton Summer Detective Club. And they got together, they had a dog, they had a van, and they would solve mysteries in the 70s. And I don't know if any of them that is ringing any bells, but it is comparable to Scooby Doo. In fact, I would basically say this is Scooby Doo fan fiction.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And I think that's kind of the point because, you know, how in Scooby Doo, whenever the monsters are unmasked, they say, and I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. So that's, you know, where the book gets its title.
1: Oh, I never picked up on that. Totally (laughs) missed that. Went right over my head.
0: That's funny. So there is like a Fred character and a Shaggy character. And I will say the Velma and the Daphne character are kind of combined into one character. And then there's a lesbian Latina character that's added in. It's kind of fun because she's kind of like the kick-ass, like, let's do this to the group that I think the group needed. So That one is a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend that. So this takes place in the 90s. So it's been decades since they solved crimes together. And they're all adults, but they're all kind of haunted by the last crime they solved. Because for once, it might have been something real. It wasn't just a man in a mask. So they are all getting together to get back to revisit what they saw at the last mystery that they solved. This is also one that has very divisive reviews. I will say there's kind of an experimental writing style where it goes from narrative and then the writing will go to kind of like screen directions. Like, you know, in screenplay, it's like actress looks left and like crosses stage. So I think that catches people off guard sometimes. So I am letting you know it does kind of switch back and forth throughout the story with those screen directions. But I thought it was really fun and fast paced and just like, I don't know, think of it as Scooby-Doo fan fiction and it's a lot of fun. So those are my two picks that I am comparing to Stranger Things. That is Boy's Life by Robert McCammon and Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero
1: so my next pick is if you like it by Stephen King you should try Demon King by Eric Henry Vick and I think just about everyone knows the classic story of it I don't need to go into a synopsis of the children that are fighting the monster that takes the form of a clown in the town of Derry such a classic even if you haven't read the book you've probably seen the movie etc but I don't think a lot of people have read Demon King and For me, this is a perfect comparison to make. This is about a young boy named Tommy who goes to a creepy man's house to buy a bike after he sees a classified ad, and of course, he never comes back. His parents are really neglectful, so they aren't initially very concerned that their son has just gone missing, but of course, his friends are worried and they decide to find out what happened to Tommy themselves like it this is set over two different timelines one being the present day and one being the 1970s and i think it's just so reminiscent of the classic story of a group of boys fighting against an evil especially something you see in it is the fact that as i mentioned the parents are quite absent they are just abusive and useless and so much of the story is really about the characters compared to it i feel this one is a little bit more focused on the supernatural evil of the entity But if you remember from previous episodes, I'm actually not the biggest fan of it. So I would go so far as to say that I think that Demon King is a better book, but I'm going to get so much hate mail for this. But I just personally love demon king i think it's just a really well-written story that for me captured what i wanted it to capture so i definitely recommend checking out if you liked it even better you'll probably love this one as well in terms of scariness rating i would put this one maybe in the fridge i don't remember being particularly scary to me but it's not the kind of story that i tend to find scary so i kind of thought of it as room temperature but it probably has some fridge moments that i've just forgotten about so i'm going to tentatively say room temperature until afterwards when i remember that oh yeah something terrible happened, which usually is the case when I try to give a rating or warning for the scariness of a book.
0: My next pick is if you liked the movie Get Out, try Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. So these are horror stories all featuring African-American characters and the deadly horrors that face them. They are all interconnected, so you're kind of following the same group of characters. And Get Out, as we have mentioned before, it's podcast favorite and Oscar winner for best screenplay. So this is about an African-American man who is visiting his white girlfriend's family for the first time. There is some uneasiness about their reception and tensions rise. That's all I'm going to say. You just need to watch it. So as I mentioned, Lovecraft Country is told in a series of short stories. Each is exploring a different kind of horror. I would say the main story that we're following is about a man named Atticus. He is a 22-year-old army veteran, and his father is missing. So he embarks on a road trip to New England to find him. He is accompanied by his uncle, who writes the Safe Negro Travel Guide, because this is all happening in Jim Crow, America. And there are so many precautions that they have to take. In certain places that won't serve them or won't let them stay at their hotels and certain places that are just dangerous and evolve into a very fatal lawlessness and that story is so tense and unfortunately you know parts of it are still relevant today and there are different short stories we are following different characters and as I mentioned, they're all kind of doing this different kind of horror. But what I really love is that the real life is often a lot scarier than the supernatural elements. So like, For example, there is a haunted house story and this woman who is alone moves into the haunted house and there is a ghost that is kind of moving around and messing with her stuff. But one of the biggest issues she has is there are white people that don't want her there and are trying to break into her house and hurt her. So that is definitely like the bigger issue. So I just thought it was something that he did really well. I also think this is a great comparison because this is a book that Jordan Peele himself is adapting for a miniseries on HBO so I think Jordan Peele himself saw that it was a comparable work that he wanted to do and I am so excited for that adaptation
1: that sounds so good I haven't read Lovecraft Country but from everything you're describing I think that's going to be a really good match and yeah I think if your tastes match up with Jordan Peele I think you're in good company there so my last pick is if you like The Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman, you should try Broken World by Kate L. Mary. And I think just about everyone's familiar with the graphic novel series or more likely the AMC TV show about the police officer who wakes up from being in a coma to find out that a zombie pandemic has broken out around the world and he is trying to get back to his family. Well, if Meddling Kids is like Scooby-Doo fan fiction, Broken World is Walking Dead fan fiction. It's such a dead ringer. I, of course, binge through the seasons of The Walking Dead. I'm also reading through the graphic novels. We talked about this in a different episode, but I love it so much. This is set in the United States during a zombie apocalypse and the story follows a woman named Vivian who was trying to get to California because she has a daughter living there who she gave up for adoption and now wants to go there and make sure that she's safe. She ends up teaming up with other survivors and the story follows their adventures as they try to survive at basically the end of the world and if that sounds familiar it definitely is for a reason. The author admits that she is a huge fan of the Walking Dead series and the influence in this book is very obvious. One of the characters in in Broken World even go so far as to reference a TV show at one point and say, like, geez, this is like The Walking Dead. (laughs) So it's a universe where The Walking Dead fiction exists. And I kind of like when stories do that, when they acknowledge that other stories that they're clearly making references to also exist, and they don't pretend that those comparisons aren't there some of the subplots were arguably very similar to the tv show to the point that you'll be very familiar with some of the events and twists and turns that are going to happen the main characters in the story i would say are really similar to daryl merle and carol but I happen to love all three of those characters. So while this wasn't the most original story, if you are simply like me and are just dying for more Walking Dead while you're waiting for the next season, this is a really good one to pick up. I say it was very room temperature. Like The Walking Dead, it's more about the characters than the zombies. I definitely recommend Broken World by Kate L. Mary if you, like me, are obsessed with The Walking Dead and just need more zombie survival in your life. Because who doesn't?
0: Exactly, don't we all? So, my last pick will be probably the second most requested thing that we got, and that is if you like the movie The Strangers, I think the obvious choice here would say you need to try The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. So, these are both home invasion stories. So, The Stranger is about a couple who is spending some time in a cabin and they are being tormented by a group of people and cabin at the end of the world is about a family who are attacked by a group of strangers who force themselves into their house and have some really strange beliefs that they want them to go along with i will say so this was a tough one because i really haven't come across a lot of home invasion in horror when i looked it up a lot of like thriller mysteries things came up oddly. So I personally haven't read too many stories like that. I know I saw Richard Lehman might have a book or two that kind of fit in the home invasion subgenre. So I really loved Cabin at the End of the World, though I will say there wasn't as much of the cat and mouse games that I think happen often in home invasion stories. There wasn't kind of like people were taunting them. So instead, I will recommend a few movies. I will say, I know Rachel just watched this recently, I will recommend the movie Hush, which is about a deaf woman who is a writer who lives in a secluded cabin and there is a man that comes in and breaks into her house and just the antics that go on there. That movie is so tense.
1: Oh, yes. I just watched this after reading Cabin, and it really filled that same void for me. It was so stressful in the best possible way. I really, really like home invasion stories, so this one, yeah, just fit the bill.
0: Oh, my gosh. Home invasion movies, to me, are, like, such a tough watch, but I feel like there's a bit of a range. Like, I feel at one end, you have, like, a, a wait until dark, with like Audrey Hepburn and then at the other end you have like things that are just a really tough watch so maybe like an inside or a funny game it's just things that are like just torture to watch so I don't know maybe that's just me I have a really hard time watching home invasion stories hush
1: worked great for me and i was saying to you that i really liked the fact that she seemed like an intelligent character certainly she was in a tough situation but i felt like she actually made some good choices and like locked some doors at key moments and i was like oh that was a good idea yeah maybe it wasn't so smart if she lived alone in the woods as a person who couldn't hear that maybe she was putting herself at a disadvantage to start with
0: it's one of those things, like I appreciate her not letting her disability define her, but I as a person just am against secluded cabins just as a rule.
1: Yeah, because you've watched too many home invasion movies exactly <laughs> and there's that extra level of tension that was in hush because of course you see that the man is like creeping up to her but even though he's <gasps> yes, being quiet like she just doesn't hear anything like unless he makes a vibration or something so there's a few moments where he's like watching her and oh i got goosebumps i was so freaked out
0: oh my gosh when she was facetiming her sister
1: <gasps> yes and then she gets a picture oh
0: Oh my gosh, I'm getting goosebumps. So I also will recommend a nonfiction book that also gave me all of the home invasion nightmares. All of them. That is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which is about the Golden State Killer, which thank goodness they recently caught because I lost a lot of sleep after reading this book. This to me is a freezer book in Every way, because it just goes into detail about this man stalking these people and breaking into their houses and, you know, unlocking doors and windows and making sure he has points of entry and emptying their guns and removing any easy to get weapons, disabling their lights. And it was just so thought out and horrifying. And the people were so helpless that I, as I mentioned, lost a lot of sleep after reading this one. So, This is a definite freezer book
1: for me. It was so scary. At first, I was saying, oh, I can't read this when I'm home alone. I need my husband there. And then you get into the later sections where he starts attacking couples. And I'm like, I'm not even safe when Jesse's home. I'm doomed. I know. I was like, well, you're not even a help now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I agree. That is definitely a freezer book. I've said it before, but I didn't think true crime could be scary. I never understood why everyone said true crime was scary until I read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and that book definitely freaked me out.
0: Definitely.
1: So I'd love to know if you agree or disagree with any of our recommendations. I'd also love to hear other people share their own horror read-alikes. Maybe you have a different one for people who love The Strangers or a head full of ghosts. So feel free to send out a tweet or message us on the Books in the Freezer website. We love to hear back from you and like i said we're always a little nervous doing these kind of recommendations but at the same time it's a lot of fun and i think it's just going to breed even more recommendations so i hope that people just keep going once this episode goes out and that we just get to hear about more fantastic books that we should be reading
0: oh definitely so please hit us up
1: and now on to our
0: chilling obsessions so I watched something on Amazon Prime recently. It was a special, I think it came out in 2014, but it was called The 50 Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen. So of course, I had to sit and watch all three hours of it, as you do. So for listeners out there that grew up watching VH1, when they had those countdowns that were like the 50 best things about the 90s or the 80s or the 70s, and they would talk about what the thing was and then have a lot of pop culture people in and out adding their two cents about what made that thing great. This was a lot like that. And you can tell this was televised because they would outro it and intro it for commercial breaks. So they would be like, stay tuned for more 50 best horror movies you've never seen. And now back to the 50 best horror movies you've never seen.
1: (laughs) Which is always so awkward when you're watching it in the streaming service.
0: I had heard of quite a few of them, but they were right. I hadn't seen a lot of them. So they talk about things like Slumber Party Massacre or like Silent Night Deadly Night and a few like creature horror movies I honestly had never heard of. But I liked that they had people that talked about these movies that worked in the horror industry and that you could tell we're just so passionate about horror and we're like yeah and then someone comes in and like they do this and then a guy loses his arm and there's blood everywhere it's great and it's just it's so fun to hear people get passionate about dark stuff like that yes (laughs) it's one of my favorite things everywhere just to hear all these people gush I also love that they talked about the cultural effect that the films had at the time they were released. So I mentioned earlier, Silent Night, Deadly Night is about a man who dresses up as Santa Claus and becomes a serial killer. And people were very angry that the horror industry decided to desecrate the beloved Santa Claus. And so it was actually pulled from
1: theaters. Oh, I love those controversial ones.
0: Yeah, but then it ended up having, you know, such a cult following that it had a couple sequels. It was so funny just to hear like, and of course, people were outraged because of this, this and that, or movies that did not do well in the box office, but, you know, got a second life through VHS rentals or what have you. I also love they talked about a movie called Grace, which is kind of about a zombie baby and it had to live off of blood. So would that technically be like a vampire? Anyway, the point is that multiple men fainted during the screenings at festivals, but it was only men. (laughs) They just made me want to watch so many of these. One that I watched because of it that I had never seen before was April Fool's Day, which was just a real fun 80s slasher movie about rich kids meeting up at a friend's summer house and they start getting picked off one by one. It was just a lot of fun. So thank you, 50 best horror movies you've never seen.
1: That sounds dangerous to watch. I feel like that would add 50 more movies that I need to watch to the list, which is already way too long. But I'll see if I can check that one out. It sounds like a really good resource. So I want to talk about The Shape of Water, which is a movie I have been dying to watch since before it was released. I'm usually not so up on the movie scene, but I heard about it when it was still going through film festivals, and I just thought it sounded amazing, and this is about a mute woman who works as a cleaning lady in a secret government laboratory during the Cold War. When the facility brings in a strange amphibian man that they captured from the Amazon River, this woman forms an attraction to this merman and begins to communicate with him through sign language. When the government decides to kill off the creature, she enlists the help of her friends to help break him out and release him into the water. I think most people are at least familiar with this one because it won four Oscars, including Best Picture. And the reason I was so excited to watch it is because it's directed and written by Del Toro, who is a personal favorite of mine. I personally love Penn's Labyrinth. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I do need to say that this is not a traditional horror movie. A lot of people will instead describe it as more of a dark fairy tale. I've also seen it described as a romantic dark fantasy and it definitely does have some romance in it. But at the same time, as you would expect, Del Toro brings the darkness of humanity into this story. So there are some very gruesome and dark scenes. It's really a story that plays with the idea of the classic monster story, but unsurprisingly, it's the people and not the monster that are the real cruel beings. I would say that it was quite predictable. I did see where it was going, but I still enjoyed the ride so much. The cinematography is amazing. I thought the themes were beautiful, really looking at class and what it means to be human. But I do need to say it's not for everyone. I watched it with my husband and he hated it. So I do need (laughs) to give a warning that while i loved it you have to decide for yourself if it's for you he was really weirded out by the amount of fish sex in this movie (laughs) he said i didn't expect so much fish sex but to be fair how much do you normally expect in a movie so i am setting the expectations that there is some so at least if you decide to watch it you know that going into the movie and are going in with your eyes open all that being said, I still loved it. Wasn't a perfect movie, but I really see why it got all of the Oscar attention. I think it's beautiful and dark and just gave me all the warm and fuzzies in the best possible way. Kind of as close to a romantic movie as I normally would watch, but with of course a giant sea creature in the center of the story because that makes it a good, you know, Rachel movie. <laughs> so that of course is The Shape of Water and I personally recommend it if it sounds up your alley. I still have to watch that one. I'm not actually sure how you'll feel about it. So <laughs> do let me know if you pick it up. I will let you know
0: books in the freezer is a bi-weekly podcast we post episodes every other tuesday you can find us on twitter at books Pod or on instagram at books in the freezer you can send us an email at booksinthefreezer in the freezer at gmail.com show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at books in the we are also on patreon at Books in the Freezer. And we want to say a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, David, and PT. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use. It helps people find us. So we have some recent five-star reviews from iTunes. Highly polished horror fiction show by Runs for Books. They say horror fiction fans rejoice. This podcast is a real gem. Hosts Rachel and Stephanie bring the same polish from their YouTube channel to these discussions about horror books. Each episode focuses on a specific topic within the broader context of horror fiction, topics like possession stories, haunted houses, and small towns. I'm amazed how they're able to keep each episode fresh and always find new titles to recommend. It's a testament to the state of horror fiction right now. That there's so much variety to choose from, and to the hosts that they read so much of it. I hope they're able to keep this podcast running for a long time. It's quickly becoming one of my favorite bookish podcasts. As a bonus, they've even had a few author interviews. Rachel and Stephanie are both fantastic interviewers, and the conversations have been unique and entertaining and have avoided your typical run of the mill, boring interview questions. They've been able to strike a perfect balance between professionalism and easy conversational style, something that is hard to do. More of these episodes, please. Thank
1: you so much. Can I just say that is one of the most well written podcast reviews I've ever seen? When I review another podcast, I'm like, good podcast. I like it. So thank you so much for taking the time to write all that.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much. And we actually have another one from Audra, 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 who says, Everything I've been looking for. I love the thematic organization of each episode, and they have great guests on some episodes too. I also love the wrap up at the end where they recommend other things in the horror world, like movies, TV shows, games, podcasts, and so on, that they're currently loving so great thank you yes thank you so much i am stephanie you can find me on twitter and instagram at lady underscore ganya or on youtube at that's what she read
1: and i'm rachel you can find me on twitter at shades underscore orange or i'm also on youtube and instagram at the shades of orange so join us next time for books in the freezer